unfortunately, as humans, often it's when we lose something that we appreciate the value of it. So when I walk out on stage and I look around and I give thanks for being able to be there for the gig and to kind of take stock and, um, you know, not to go too deep down the philosophical rabbit hole, but, but the power of music to erase all these artificial boundaries that we put up that is reaching toxic levels, at least in our country. Music erases all that. The minute the music starts, like everybody's grooving. And so I try to just tap into the, the beauty of that. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Barry Danilian. Barry, well, he's deep. A skilled performer, producer, and arranger, Barry has toured and recorded with some of the top names in the music industry. His tenures with both Blood, Sweat, and Tears and Tower of Power put him in elite status amongst trumpet players, and his decade-long position with Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band has brought his trumpet playing front and center to sold-out arenas around the world. Plus, his lifelong pursuit of the martial arts has given him deep insights to complement his kick-ass skills on and off the horn. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined by Mr. Barry Danilian, and I'm so excited about this. Barry, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you, Jose. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate being here. Oh, man, it's, you know, it's always good to talk with a fellow trumpet player. You know, first of all, you know, we are top of the food chain. So, you know, th there is that, you know, we're the cool of the cool. But you and I've got a lot of other things, similarities, uh, you know, some, some life path stuff. And we're definitely going to jump into that later into the show. But awesome. uh, we're going to ease into it a little bit um, because you've had a really interesting uh, history uh, so far in, in like your, your career. I mean, you've, you have played uh, with some of the most iconic musicians of our time and not just in the field of, of, of jazz or, or, you know, instrumental music. I mean, you've, you've played with and are still playing with some of the, the top recording artists uh, in, in history. So, man, I can't wait to hear some, some stories from you about uh, the experiences of, of playing, uh, you know, on, in some of these, these big high profile gigs and, and stuff. So that, let's just actually kind of get started. We'll, we'll start kind of there, if you don't mind, and then we'll just okay. let, the, let the conversation develop from there. So um, you have a longstanding history of, of playing with the boss. And by the boss, I don't mean the trumpet player's boss, which would be Maynard Ferguson, but yeah the boss in music who is uh mr bruce springsteen so um you know how did you end up with that gig with with bruce and and uh i mean it, it's got to be kind of almost a surreal experience of, to be with someone who's not just had the level of musical impact that he's had but the the social and cultural impact uh that that surrounds bruce and, and his music so man just walk us through that a little bit so I, I have to go back in history a little bit because the first time I met Bruce, I was actually on the road with Southside Johnny and the Jukes. This is like late 80s, which is part of that whole nexus of Jersey Shore rock and soul music. 
which people don't quite get that, but these were musicians that they were influenced by rock and roll, but they were equally influenced by soul music and R&B music. And it was there, this whole like kind of amalgamation of those two streams that kind of created this Jersey Shore sound. I didn't grow up with that music. I didn't really know anything about it, but when I moved here through, you know, some weird set of circumstances, I ended up getting a call to audition for Southside. So I'm in Southside's band. I'm in San Francisco doing a gig. My wife's from San Francisco. My father-in-law was worried about getting me to the gig on time. He got me to sound check probably two hours before I needed to be there. So I'm sitting in this venue. I got my horn with my cut mute and I'm just warming up and in walks Bruce Springsteen. He was in San Francisco with his wife, Patty, and they were just hanging out and they were coming to see the gig. So we sat there and just kind of had this conversation for almost two hours me and Bruce and Patty and Bruce was very interested about, you know, what are these mutes and what was the origin of mutes and how I know there's different ones and what we just kind of had a nice conversation. And I would say that like was the drop in the pond type of a thing, you know, that was the little pebble that kind of rippled out over the course of my career. Fast forward 2009, I got called in to record with him. A few years later, he did, um, a video at the they had this like carousel in Asbury Park and we did this whole video shoot which ironically would end up being the last video and the last performance I think with Clarence um, and then in 2012 he decided shortly after Clarence's passing he decided that it made sense to bring the horns out you know for that tour and so I got asked my friend Kurt Ram who's the great trumpet player he asked me to do it and uh and so I've kind of been in Bruce's camp ever since. I love Bruce. He's he's um, without question the best cat that I've worked for in terms of his own personal integrity, his own dedication. He don't need to be out here doing this He financially, right? He's doing it because he loves the music. He's doing it because he feels this obligation to his fans. And at 73 years old, this cat is always working on his craft. It's really inspiring to me to watch him so dedicated and so focused to his craft. He treats us great. He's so respectful of, of us as musicians, as sidemen. And as you know, that's not often the case. Most of the time we're getting dogged out. You know, they're trying to get you for less money. You know, the accommodations aren't cool. With Bruce, just everything is just, it's mind blowing how great we're treated because I'm so used to the opposite. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 I feel you on that. I tell you, man, um... When when I was younger, uh, like in high school, uh, my a lot of my friends were, were seriously into Bruce. Um, I never was. I that, yeah, I was serious. I was in into the, my either my jazz head stuff, or uh, you know, if it if it was pop music, it was you know definitely leaning more towards the funk and R and B side. Yeah, you know? Me too. Me too. And uh, you know, so it's like yeah, okay, yeah, this is yeah, this is all right. And and uh, then. You know, over the years, definitely, you know, you, you couldn't listen to, to to radio in the 80s without listening to Bruce, right? And um, the, kind of the, as I matured as as an individual and became more open to different types of music and, and the impact that it has, I started to gain a, a level of respect for him that I didn't have in, in my earlier days. But it really wasn't until a few years ago when I was listening to the podcast that he did with Barack Obama. And I listen to that and I'm like, holy shit, this dude is deep. 
Yeah, I mean, Bruce like, is a, yeah, he's a thoughtful man. I mean, he he is very highly intelligent, highly insightful, well read. He he's really he's a brilliant guy. You know, I I have nothing but admiration and respect for him. Yeah, I said, man, this this guy's the real deal. And his uh, I mean, it's it's that depth of of knowledge, that depth of character, and and as you're saying, like he had just a very uh, clear expression of his desire to see change in the world and his part of it being through the music right you know? and and taking that craft while it's fun you know while it's something you certainly enjoy doing uh, but but taking that craft so seriously that you you know he's not he's never rested on his laurels and i you know i was like wow i have a whole new respect for this dude and anybody that works with him so you know, if you next time you see Bruce, tell him uh, tell him Jose said that you know thumbs up. He, he's doing a good job. Keep it up. Awesome. I'll see him in a few days. We're, we're leaving in a few days. My my studio here is like a complete disaster here because I'm repacking. To, we're we're about to head to Europe for the second leg of this tour. We'll be in Europe all summer playing the big stadiums over there. As big as he is here, he's twice as big over there. So it's really like epic, and it's it's um it's an interesting challenge as a trumpet player because when you walk out on stage and you're playing to a soccer stadium, 40, 50,000 people, that energy is very palpable and it takes a lot. And we'll, I'm sure we're gonna talk about this in terms of how you manage that energy so that you don't blow your chops out. You have to manage that energy. And I think that's something that is unique, at least for me, it's unique to this gig because all the other gigs that I've done, you know, Tower, we have big audiences, but we're talking about 1,200, 1,500 people. Maybe if we play at a festival, it's larger. But play, feeling the energy of 50,000 people coming at you, it's it's a whole different type of thing to, to manage and to kind of keep your center as a trumpet player, you know. And especially with the long-ass shows, we do three-plus hours of playing. Ooh, man, man. I'm never going to complain about another wedding gig that I have to do again. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, uh, and I, I definitely want to talk about, about your time with Tower and stuff, too. But it just reminds me, uh, I'm, I'm really good friends with uh, a former uh, T.O.P. alumni, alumnus, uh, Mike Chickowitz. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, Mike, uh, the first time I met Mike, uh, we had this long talk. We were sitting at the bar just just talking for hours. And he was talking about the first time uh, his dad, Vincent, you know, right. the most famous trumpet pedagogues of, of you know, the past, you know, 100 years or so. Uh, the first time that, that Vincent got a chance to see him play live when he was on tour with Rod Stewart. And, you know, he's talking about like, well, here's my dad, you know, the, the second trumpet in, in the, the Chicago Symphony, one of the, you know, world famous trumpet players. And, and he comes to see me and we're, he was playing at some stadium in Germany. And, you know, the, the, it's packed and the crowd is going nuts and they're singing along. And his dad had never seen anything like that because, you know, if you're in the legit world, you don't, you don't see that. You're not in those venues. And I, and I don't think that, a lot of people, I mean, even even those, you know, growing up in like, you know, uh, in the jazz world, you know, uh, the, the club scene, um, like you said, you know, you, you, you're you usually playing for those, you're playing for a few hundred people, then you, you get to the the bigger bands, and you're playing the, the, the theaters, and you're playing, you know, 1500, 2000, to suddenly 10x that or more, 
has to be such a uh one it's a rush i'm sure but uh you know while it's i think that it, it can be very easy to become overwhelmed by that level of energy because uh anything that we have going on in our heads any of that that self-talk that we have also get amp gets amplified by it so you become much more concerned about you know not missing a note or you know you know do all the all the crazy stuff that goes on in, in our heads as trumpet players. Yeah. So how how do you manage um you know keeping yourself grounded, either not allowing yourself to get uh like overwhelmed by the the enormity of the situation or to not let it go to your head, which you know many people do because it's like, hey, yeah, I'm playing with the boss, man, you know, my shit don't stink sort of thing. So I mean, how do how do you keep yourself grounded and centered uh despite the size of the gig yeah that's a good question man um i think you know as we 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 touched base on this as we first started communicating i've been a martial artist my whole life and i think that that practice allows you to have tools that you can use to manage what essentially what you're describing is that adrenaline dump into your system because there's a physiological reality that happens when you're that amped up, like it's adrenaline in your body. It's so, it's so exciting. But what I try and do is, is, is use it, but not let it use me, stay focused. And really it's fundamentals. Like I do a whole breathing thing that I do before I hit the stage. I do kind of a gratitude thing because especially after COVID, like I didn't play live for two years, more than two years. And, and my whole life, I've always played live. And to have that now go away, unfortunately, as humans, often it's when we lose something that we appreciate the value of it. So when I walk out on stage and I look around and I give thanks for being able to be there for the gig and to kind of take stock and, um, you know, not to go too deep down the philosophical rabbit hole, but, but the power of music to erase all these artificial boundaries that we put up that is reaching toxic levels, at least in our country. Music erases all that. The minute the music starts, like everybody's grooving. And so I try to just tap into the, the beauty of that. And more directly related to trumpet playing, I just, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in just returning to the fundamentals, like just checking in. If my breathing is cool and my body is in sync with breathing, then most of the time I'm going to be okay with, with, with my playing. There's one tune that I play. I'm on stage alone with Bruce. He's just playing acoustic guitar and singing this very poignant tune about, it's called Last Man Standing. And basically the song is about recently the other person that was in the first band that he played in as a musician at 15 just died. That leaves him being the last man standing of that band. He's the last guy alive. And just the sadness of that, but also the power of the music in that scenario to transcend all of that. And I have to come in with this simple solo and man, I'm, I'm nervous as a motherfucker, man. You know, I'm like, D just don't let me, don't let me miss a note. Don't let me crack. And I have to just, again, return to the breathing. I know that if I just hear this thing in my head and I can just ride on my air, I know that I'm going to be able to be okay. And I just focus on that. But man, I'm nervous. As I'm, I'm shaking up there sometimes, you know, because I just want to play good, you know, and it's not really an ego thing 
personally, it's more that I want to do this song justice and the meaning in this song, I want to bring something to it. So, you know, uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of it. it. It just comes back for me to the fundamental, the primary thing is, is your air, your breathing. You know, in Chinese medicine, qi is derived from your air, you know. So I just focus on that. And if I can connect to my breathing and hear the sound that I want to have play in my head, and if, if those two things kind of align, then throughout my career, most of the time I'm going to be okay, you know. Um, and every gig, of course, has its particular hurdle that you have to grapple with. Bruce's gig is it's not technically demanding, but it's physically demanding because we're basically kind of playing like organ parts, half notes and whole notes. And we have to have the horn on your face for a long time without taking the horn off. And you can't just coast. You have to put some air through because that fiery rock and roll sound of brass has to be there. So you can't really coast. So how do you do that? That's a completely different animal than tower, which is technical and sniper-like precision of playing all this rhythmic stuff. So both those gigs present, from a trumpet player standpoint, different type of things to grapple with in terms of your playing, in terms of endurance, in terms of recovery after the gig so that you're cool for the next gig. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place, but that, I, I hope I answered your question. Oh, man, that that's solid. That is absolutely solid. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've been blessed enough to to have uh, a few guests on on the show. Besides, you know, people that I've uh, I know outside the show that I haven't been able to convince it to get on here. But um, you know, the, it's that you know, how do you you know how people deal with these high stress situations is what always fascinates me, and it's uh, that's a lot to do with um, you know we like you're saying you know we had a conversation about you know having uh, martial arts backgrounds and things like that and and i had like two phases in my martial arts career the very first was you know the self-defense thing because i was getting my my butt kicked every day and my dad made me you know take classes and then later in adult life coming back to it and the reason i came back is because i was suffering from stage fright so oh, wow. I, I didn't know how to deal with it and so i'm like ah well i'll i'll take some i'll take tai chi classes i think that would be good mm -hmm. and and then I discovered uh, the, the biggest thing I discovered from that process was uh, that I was in control of my situation. And uh, it, it was then later made the realization that, you know, the as I got into like neuropsychology and, and neuroscience and stuff like that, that became my newest passion was that like the chemical signature of, of fear and anxiety is the same as that of excitement. You right. know, so it's it's when I figured out that, my body was just telling me that I needed to be prepared for something. He said the adrenaline dump, that's what adrenaline's for, you know, get you ready. Uh, and I got to, they had the ability then to say, this is not my body telling me that I'm going to screw up. It's my body telling me you're getting energized so you can go out and you can do your absolute best job. Right. And right. that little mind shift, like completely changed the way i i perceived everything in life and you know i think that that those situations you know sometimes we just never put in those situations where we have to learn that lesson uh or we're given the the right uh experiences to learn those lessons so when you talk about like the difference between doing 
like a small intimate gig and a, and a huge gig, uh, there's different levels of pressure that are on you. So like when you when you do have the opportunity to go back and do a, a small date or a studio date, which is completely different again from the live show, um, do you find yourself having to make any level of adjustments, uh, the mental adjustments? Obviously, you have to make playing adjustments. Right. But, you know, uh, so how, how do you deal with those different venues? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um I've always felt very comfortable in the studio setting. And, and perhaps it has to do with, I was super fortunate to have a chorus teacher in high school that was also like a bass player and had his own band. And he was very much into, uh, we're talking about the seventies now. So early electronic music, four track recorders. So I got exposed to like being recorded at a pretty young age and just felt, um, really at home and fascinated by that whole process. So me personally, I feel very at home in the studio. Um, I get nervous, of course, especially if it's like a big band date where there's not going to be like a lot of overdubs and you got to nail this shit like, you know, you get a few passes and it has, I mean, that's a lot of pressure, you know, and, and again, I will res not resort, but fall back on the same thing, like breathe, relax, center, hear your hear your ideal sound, hear how you want to sound in your head, have a clear picture in your mind of, of how you want to play this music and focus on the music. Don't focus on the, the beast of the trumpet. Um, that was something that I had to figure out the hard way that you can get caught in that whole kind of mechanical, the trumpet, and is my tongue doing this? And is my lip doing that? And you can get just sucked into that whole vortex where you're just fighting with the trumpet because you're not dealing with music. And I found that when I shifted my mind and just focused on music, then the trumpet became much more manageable. Um, for me, that was huge because music always came very natural to me. Trumpet playing did not. I really had to work really hard, like nothing in my physical, I didn't have like, we've all seen these guys that just, they seem to have the perfect physical makeup to play trumpet. And probably for the first time they picked it up, everything was lined up and everything. I was like the opposite, man. I was a mess. I had to work really hard to be able to get some level of competence in the mechanical aspect of being a, a competent trumpet player. Music, however, came very natural to me. So for me in those situations, it's always if I can put the focus on the music. And of course, I have to be on my game. I have to be practicing and warming up and doing my due diligence as a trumpet player that most of the time things will fall right into place for me. Um, to get back to your question, what I find is not so much the size of the venue, but more the music, like what is the different type of music that I'm playing and what do I need to draw on as a trumpet player to be able to achieve, um, I'm usually working for somebody that they have an artistic vision that I'm there to help them achieve that vision. I'm playing a role in helping them to, to create what it is that they imagine their music to be. So I'm very much, we're in the service business. Part of that requires me to be able to understand what their vision is and to serve that. Um, so that, I think that has been a real thing for me, a key in having some success. And also I love all kinds of music. Like I went through my period when I was at Berkeley of being kind of a jazz snob, but I've always, I love R&B, I love rock. I, as long as things are at a high level, I love all music. So for me, it's easy to, 
flow from one thing to another. Um, obviously, being a classical player is such a specific thing. Um, but honestly, man, I listen to a lot of classical music. I mean, I'm not a classical player, but I listen to a lot of that music. Um, I love that music. So I just love music. So whatever situation I'm in, I'm trying to just bring the love to the situation. And, and that kind of keeps me um, in a good place to be able to make things happen for people. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, and it, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put this off a little bit uh, because I do want to go into a deep dive into, into your, your uh, work as an acupuncturist, but like when you're talking about uh, like the energy in the, in the stadium, you know, and, and everything just gets amplified, you right. know? Uh, and it's, it's, there's, there's a difference between the intimacy that can occur between uh, you know, you and a very small crowd. So like if you're playing, uh, you know, playing in a, in a small jazz club and say there, you know, there are 50 people or hundred people in the cloud crowd and you can see everybody in the room that's got one thing as opposed to when you're, you know, you're there, you know, tens of thousands of people. Uh, but the energy level, uh, as it begins to change, uh, you know, like the, the, sometimes the intimacy can draw more energy from you, but sometimes the, the bigger venue, while you, you have more people, it, it becomes a self perpetuating, uh, generator of energy. And, and, and if, and if you're cooking, what you're putting out, you're getting back, which then can help you to put out more. And so you create this, this interesting cycle of, uh, of energy that goes out there. And, uh, as you were talking about, like how big Bruce is over in Europe, as opposed to, to here in the States, which, you know, he's huge here, but, uh, you know, when you see how your how the music that you're playing has impact, regardless of whether somebody understands the lyrics or whether they, you know, they whether they grew up with that music or not, uh, when you're seeing seeing and feeling that kind of connection with people, um, you know, it, it's got to do something to your soul. Uh, so, you know, when, when you're when you're up there, man, and when everything's jiving how would you how would you describe the feeling of being in the midst of this this storm of of just love and joy and appreciation of life well man i'm just super grateful bro i mean if i had to put it into a word it would probably just be gratitude you know um and i think oftentimes you know, music and playing the trumpet, it's such a, a, a huge thing to grapple with all the time. And we're constantly trying to improve and get better. And I think that there, there's an aspect of that that can lead to a negative self-talk because oftentimes we focus more on the things that we don't do good and we ignore the things that we do good. Also, just to overlook what you're talking about, like I'm sitting here going, man, like we're playing music for all these people and they're loving it and they're giving us all this love. Like this is like, this is great. This is why we play music to, to inculcate this love. Um, it's overwhelming sometimes, man. I Like the, the last tour we played in Milan, I think it was like 70,000 people. And the Italians, like somehow they figured out they had all these placards and the placards spelled out our love is real throughout this whole like massive stadium. And so we walked out and I saw that. And first of all, I'm thinking like, how did they figure out how to do this? And second of all, what a sentiment, you know, and I was literally in tears. Like it really took me halfway through the first tune to get composure enough that I could really play. 
because it was so overwhelming, man, you know, and it just shows you how much what we do impacts people, how much music means to people, despite the music business and the fact that musicians historically, we don't maybe get what we should get in, in terms of stability financially or whatever it may be. But man, we're wielding some power up there. You know, we are. And I think um, it's something that I think we should not um, overlook the impact that we have on people. And I've had people come up to me. I've had people email me or hit me on social media, you know, that something was going on in their life and they came to the show and they heard the music and now they're able to deal with it. Like, I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff, man. That's stuff that you can't really take for granted. And it transcends us being a trumpet players or whatever my part in the band is. It really is just a testament to the power of music and the, and this language that we're speaking that really is the language of the heart and the language of the spirit. And that transcends all the nonsense that we deal with from day to day. So that's something as I get older, that becomes more of like uh, an anchor for me that I tap into, you know, and, and, and probably that has a lot to do with why I don't get quite as nervous now as I used to, you know, because, because my head is there now. It's not, oh my God, am I going to mess this up? Am I going to be able to play the high note at the end of the show? Am I, you know, like that used to be kind of the thoughts that would go through my head. Now it's like I get on stage and it's like, okay, let's bring the love to these people. Let's bring, you know, in, in a lot of ways now, it's like I'm thinking in terms of this, this is healing that we're bringing to the people, you know? And so I think that taking that attitude about music now, in some sense for me, has liberated me a little bit from the angst of this beast that, of this instrument that we play that can be so fussy and so difficult to manage and that you're grappling with every day no matter how good you are we pick the horn up and from day to day it's like okay what's it going to be today let's see what it is you know that, that that's a very insecure thing in a, in, a, in a lot of ways at least for me um so to be able to put that in a certain box and really focus on the grander narrative of the joy of music and the power of music to transcend all these things that has liberated me from that trumpet player head that really, for me, causes me more problems than anything else. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, man. You know, preach to the choir on that one. Um, but, you know, you said a couple of things that, that really kind of stuck, uh, struck a chord with me, uh, to use a musical analogy, I guess. Uh, but, you know, the, the first one is uh, you had said something earlier. You, you talked about uh, what we do as a service. And I think sometimes we lose track of that, you know, and uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, and this is why I love talking to someone that's in your position, right? Because as a trumpet player, <laughs> if you're if you're in the in the commercial playing field as opposed to the you know the classical field, um, you know, to to land a gig with with somebody like Bruce or you know some of the other people you've played with, and like but the top gig, I mean that's that's one of like the the part of the holy grail of of commercial trumpet players you know you want to have that gig you play with with blood sweat and tears you, you know you've played with so many iconic uh acts in in the the world where trumpet is you know a, a distinctive voice um but at the end of the day you know it's about the impact that we make and you know i don't i don't play on those those kind of stages i mean i'm, I'm i play in a wedding band yeah i play in an events band and 
you know, for years I used to think it was like, you know, oh, wedding band, my God, you know, you, 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 you suck if you're in a wedding band, you know, it's, it's such a crappy gig. And, you know, the past few years of doing this, like, you know, regularly, almost full time has given me a completely different perspective because I know that, you know, the wedding day is, you know, one of the days that, that you will remember for the rest of your life. Absolutely. You, either because of the best decision you made or it was the worst decision you made right. <laughs> or the other, you're going to remember that day. And the music is such a crucial component to that day. And when we get, you know, when our management company gets emails from people saying you made our perfect day, even better than we could imagine, that speaks to me that goes, I have been a service to that person. I, I have added to the quality of their memories. And, you know, somebody that comes to a show like, you know, with, with a, a, a Springsteen or, you know, a T.O.P. or something like that, a lot of times you go out of those uh, those events and you will always remember it, you know? Yeah. And, and so you, you're part, you become part of this uh, experience for someone that, that they're going to take with them to their grave and they maybe will share with, with their kids, especially, you know, with, with these more iconic groups. Uh, you know, this is something that a lot of times the love of that act is passed on from generation to generation. Right. right. So, you know, you become part of this living legacy and, you know, you, but you don't have to be on that level of, of the stage to have that kind of impact on somebody's life. You know, we all have yeah. the ability to impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. No, I think you're absolutely right, man. I think I think what you're talking about is is your sense of consciousness in terms of what what it is that you're doing. Like what you just said, like you're playing at somebody's wedding. This is the most meaningful day in most people's lives, aside from maybe when they have children, right? And they're going to remember that forever, man. They're going to remember that forever. And that's something that I think a lot of times like we we tend to overlook when I was doing a lot of wedding gigs. I, I tended to, ah, I'm doing a wedding gig, ah, you know, ah, that, that. And, and then I started changing my mentality saying, look, I'm here, like we're playing music for the, like exactly what you said. And then all of a sudden the whole experience of the gig changed. Now the gig didn't change. What really changed was my mindset. That's what changed, you know? And throughout my life, that lesson has been made really apparent to me over and over again in positive manifestations and in negative manifestations that where your head is at, how you perceive things, oftentimes that's going to reflect back on you. So if it's negative, if it's negative self-talk, if it's, you know, whatever it might be, then probably that's what you're going to get back. But if you can shift that thing you're, you're going to get positive back, you know, you're going to get more ease, you know, in Chinese medicine, it's always like stagnation versus flow. Like most, most problems with people, a lot of times are rooted in stagnation, rooted in the fact that things are not flowing the way they should. So 
if you can adjust the flow, it's not that they're lacking something or they have too much of something. It's just that what's there is not flowing harmoniously. And when you can make those adjustments in the person, all of a sudden they feel better. The cough goes away. The headache goes away, whatever it is. I, I tend to think that that's the same thing with, with what you're describing in terms of playing. You know, we can get out of our own way and just feel, um, that we're serving what, what, whether I'm playing a gig for 10 people in some little dive bar or whether I'm on stage with Bruce playing for 60,000 people, I'm trying to bring joy and love and happiness and all these other things to the table through music that maybe will change how those people feel when they get done experiencing this. And it might reverberate to the point where it has a huge impact on that person's life. Like the first time when I was like in sixth grade and somebody took me to go hear Maynard's band with Joe Mazzello and Ron Tooley and that band, man, that changed my life. You know, I, I was playing music at that point, but I never experienced something like that. And it changed my life forever, that one moment. So I think that that's, that's some, some mystical power we're wielding and we don't realize it often that, that we are wielding this type of power, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, it, the trumpet is just, you know, the, the trumpet world, the music world is just the, the microcosm of it because th that's the truth. No matter what you do, uh, you always have the ability. Well, you, not that you always have the ability, you are always impacting somebody, regardless of whether you're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, your actions have a ripple effect. And when we choose to be conscious of it, when we choose to decide what kind of impact we want to create on the world, uh, then that's when we we are tapping into our true powers as humans. Okay. And, you know, as a musician, you know, just tapping into that one, if you can find the joy within yourself, then get out and you can then get out of your way and let that joy be amplified by the instrument and then reach out to someone else and create that same sympathetic vibration in them mm -hmm. then you know you're changing their life which means that they may have come in in a pissy mood and they come out in a good mood and then they do something nice for someone else or you know they're they're better their their spouse or their kids or they're they're happier at work or more productive and then that impacts someone else and then that impacts someone else and we don't realize that that the simplest gesture ha can have profound effect down the line that in in things that we generally don't even get a chance to to see the end result but if we're chasing the end result then it becomes a it becomes ego driven as right. opposed to just I'm just putting out good into the world. I'm putting out good, positive energy to the universe. And I right. trust that it's going to come back to me in some way. Right. No, that's beautiful, man. It, what you said is beautiful. And, and it's so, it's so true. in the whole like ego, like getting out of your own way. Um, you know, it's funny it, because there, I had this conversation with my wife the other day about the ego and, and competitiveness. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is it does take some level of ego and competitiveness to be, to aspire to a high level in anything. But I guess the question becomes, is, are you the one that's riding the ego or is the ego riding you? And, how, and are you expressing through the vehicle of ego is, is that like kind of the jet propulsion system that's 
projecting you into a higher level of purpose? Or is it something that you're, well, I can play better than this guy or this guy, like this whole like kind of comparing yourself to other trumpet players or that type of negative manifestation of competition. Because for me, and, and this is something that, you know, you, you learn from martial arts is, is like, you always get better when you get your ass kicked. It's not when you're, when, when you're the hammer and the other person's the nail, you're not improving. You're kind of improving when you're the nail and the other person's the hammer. So for me, I always was like, man, I like to be the lamest cat in the trumpet section because now there's three other guys that I'm going to be able to learn so much from. And I think that um, if you can kind of be secure within your own self to surrender to that and not be so like, oh, you know, like the negative manifestation of competition, then you can be surrounded like I often am by so many great trumpet players. And I'm, I'm just trying to learn from them. You know, like before the tour started, I was subbing quite a bit on the Michael Jackson show and Tony Cadlick and Brian Pareshi are the two main trumpets. So when I'm subbing, I'm mostly playing with one or two of those guys. They're both, they're my boys. They're tremendously great trumpet players. Both play different, have different styles of playing, different approaches. I'm constantly like just peeping out like, you know, how does Tony approach this? How does Brian approach that? And it's just information that I can get that helps me to be a better player so that when I go there, I'm supporting them. I'm better at playing next to them so they feel more comfortable. I'm not going there saying, man, you know, I should have this gig. You know, I don't know why this cat, has, you know, and a lot of cats are stuck in that type of mentality. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it's kind of like, it might serve you at a certain point in your development in terms of giving you inertia to work hard. But ultimately, you kind of have to get rid of that stuff. And, you know, especially in New York, everybody can play, man. Everybody can play. So if you think you're going to come here and you're going to be like the baddest motherfucker, it ain't going to happen. So, so for me, it's like I come here and, and I'm surrounded by all these great players in so many different venues of music that I can learn from to, to me, that's just like, that's beautiful, man. You know, that, that, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, I mean, like in, uh, in the, the Taiji world, uh, we have a, a saying, uh, invest in loss. Right. And, right. you know, it's, it's the, you know, you learn, you, you learn by getting your ass kicked. Like you said, you know, you, you learn through the loss. Now, uh, only if you choose to learn from it, you know, right. if you keep getting your butt beat, then eh, you got a problem. But, you know, it, it's like that, that's where the lessons learn, you know, the, that failure is a part of the process of success. Right. It's the most important part. The success is just the pinnacle where everything comes together. The The failures are where you're, you're going through the learning process. And uh, one of my, one of my martial arts teachers, um, a really, really amazing guy, super, super talented and uh, such a humble dude. And I was remembered, I was sitting in a hotel room talking with him and he said, oh, you know, Jose, everybody comes up to me and says, oh, Master Leong, you're, you're so nice. You're so humble. You have no ego. He goes, no, I have an ego. He said, my e but my ego, I control my ego. He said, when I see somebody that can do something that I can't do, said, I go, why can he do it? And I can't, mm. I have to work harder. And then that that gets him motivated to, you know, learn something new, to study harder, to practice harder. And he said, you know, he said, I will never talk down about someone's skills. 
know, if they can do something I can't do, it's because they've worked at it. And, and I, now I want it because I see that I want it, but I don't want to take it from them. I want to earn it for myself. Right. And I think that that's the thing is that, you know, using the ego in that way to, you know, the inspirations that we have, you know, like you're talking about, I, I, I grew up at about the same time as you. And I remember going to see Maynard and that, that lineup of, of Stan, Joe, right. uh, Ron Lee and Dennis Noday. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, my, my mind was just completely blown. And, you know, that was, you know, that was my inspiration, but they were so far away from me that I couldn't be jealous of them. Right. But then other players that were around me, like when I started going to college and things like that, and there are other players, it's like, you know, then I could feel my ego start to creep in, you know, and it, it, because they were closer to me, closer to my age, closer to my status. And right. it's like, oh, you know, eh, why is he getting the gig? And, you know, that that stuck with me for years. And I had to, to really become conscious about it and embrace the fact that we all have our own skills and our own abilities. And and some things come easier to others. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have to work work for it. And that's actually one of the things I do want to talk about, because that that's an important concept, I think, for people to understand. Um, like when you were saying that, you know, it never like playing trumpet never came naturally to you. Right. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times we get in this place of if it's not easy, if it doesn't feel like it's natural, then there's something wrong with us. You know, I'm not cut out to be a trumpet player. Right. Uh, so like for you, how how did you uh, take that? You know that that situation where you're you're around and you're seeing other people that that it's more natural to them, and you're having to work at it. I mean, how did you develop that drive, that work ethic, uh, to keep yourself motivated when you're having to you know to struggle with the horn from time to time? Right. Well, I never had <clears throat> I never had a problem with work ethic because the way I was brought up, you know, I mean, I just was surrounded by people my parents, my uncles, my fam, my mother and father were both in the military. My uncles were in the military. So that whole like, you know, here's the mission. Here's my plan to achieve the goal, execute the plan. That type of mentality has been with me since I was a kid. So when I got to Berkeley, um, yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I, I get into my room and now I'm ready to make the journey to the practice room. My first practice session at Berkeley College of Music, right? And, you know, I'm coming from a small town in New Hampshire where I pretty much was the best player there. Now I'm coming to Berkeley where I don't know, how am I going to stack up? So I get ready. I set up my music stand. I pull out my Arben book. I'm getting ready to warm up and get ready to practice. And all of a sudden I hear this trumpet playing in another room and it sounds like Clifford Brown. And I'm like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. If everybody plays like this, what am I going to do? So of course me, I'm like, well, let me go meet this guy. I knock on the door. It's Wallace Roney. So we become pals because he's into he was into boxing. I'm into boxing. And we just kind of like our spirits kind of like we, we were sympathetic spirits. And, and um, so he gave me some good stuff to practice. And I've just had people along the path that that were like that for me. The work ethic part was never an issue. I had no problem. I'm the same way in martial arts. If that guy's doing 50 pushups. I'm doing 100 pushups. Like I've always had that kind of drive to work hard. Um, how I dealt with the trumpet was to approach, 
the aspects of trumpet playing that were hard for me basically were like kind of the physical mechanical aspects of trumpet playing. So what I started to realize is that if I could apply the same principles to practice as I applied to training with martial arts, then I can work a methodology of building physical skill with trumpet playing. And that started to work for me. You know, that started to work. All of a sudden now my range is getting better. My endurance is getting better. Technique is getting better. There was no real, um, I was practicing out of all the same books that everybody practices out of. There wasn't any like, well, here's the secret book that Arben, Clark, Schlossberg. I had a great teacher at Berkeley, Lou Mucci, who played on all that Miles and Gil Evans stuff. He was like a studio player in New York in the 50s and 60s. And one of the things that we always did was like, we played duets and matching his sound. And then a real interesting thing that he would do is he would, he would, he had all these like sheets of music, just one page where he would put it on your stand. It had no markings, no dynamics, no articulations. All that it would have would be a tempo and a style, Latin, swing, ballad. And you would have to just play and he said, okay, well, make music out of this. You know, don't just play the notes. Let me hear you make music out of this. How are you going to interpret this? And so at that point, I started kind of connecting that, that there is the physical, mechanical reality of dealing with your instrument, but then that has to be in service of music. And what I started to realize is when I could shift the focus away from the mechanical stuff and concentrate on the music, all of a sudden the mechanical stuff seemed to flow out a lot easier for me. I didn't have good high chops. I was never a lead player until I got to New York and kind of was forced to develop my range because of the gigs that I was getting. Um, I went to John Faddis for lessons. I went to Lou for lessons. They both gave me like great things to work on. But what John said is you're not hearing the lead sound in your head yet. You're still hearing a, your jazz sound in your head. You have to start listening to more lead players, start playing along with records and get that sound in your head. And the minute I started doing that, all of a sudden my range improved. Like it was like overnight, my range got better. I didn't do anything different really with my practicing, but in my mind, I started having a conceptualization of how I wanted to sound as a lead player. Up until that point, I really had been focusing on conceptualizing how I wanted to sound as a soloist. So I guess that's the long answer. The long answer is like, like in jujitsu, you drill, you do these techniques, boxing, you're drilling, you're working your fundamentals. But then when it comes time to spar, you got to forget all that and just be in the moment and just flow. And sometimes you get whacked, sometimes you don't, sometimes, but that's part of the natural process. And I think it's very similar with trumpet playing. I think it's very similar, uh, at least for me, you know, and, and everybody's path is different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's the, the power of the mind, you know, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, when, when it comes to problem solving, uh, playing, uh, and, and this is what I did, you know, with, when I was was teaching martial arts full time was I would often um, ask my students to to talk through things. And, you know, like, you know, what are you thinking here? Or I, I would do this little exercise with them. I, I always call it the uh, the Austin Powers exercise. So if you remember the scene where, where Austin uh, gets out of the suspended animation and he doesn't have any internal dialogue and just whatever is going on in his head comes out of his mouth. Right, right. Okay just you know do do these movements and and just 
you know, don't filter it, just say what's in your head. And, you know, immediately people would start saying like, well, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. And I really have no idea what I'm doing here. And, and, you know, this really sucks. And, and I would just start picking up on those parents and say, this is where you're having problems because you're thinking about it wrong. So let's, let's flip the way you think about it. Let's flip the way you describe it. And, and, you know, let, let's focus on just creating the, the feeling or the expression or the intention that you have. And when you do that, you're going to get, you're, you're going to be way ahead of the curve in terms of getting the result that you want to get. The harder you focus on making it work technically, the harder it's going to be for it to happen when you just allow it to flow. So like when you, we're going to get into this acupuncture thing now, because I, I, you know, this is, this is definitely, you know, in, in my, my world of, of great loves, um, we're thinking about the, the energetics of things, you know, the, the way that in, uh, in, in Taiji and Qigong practices and stuff, you know, talk about the concept of yi qi li, that yi is your intention, your right. way you're thinking, what you're thinking, your qi, your energy, and then li being the muscle, uh, but also in the context of this phrase, it, you know, means the action or the, the result. So right. that your intention leads your energy and your energy creates the action. So right. as a trumpet player, I mean, we have, if you don't have a clear intention, you can't get clear energy being your breath. Uh, you can't get clear action to, you know, through the, the, uh, the neurological pathways to the, the nerve endings. And so your fingers aren't going to respond the right way. And then you, then that's why, you know, your sound isn't as good as well, or you're missing that note, or you're having problems with that phrase. It's, it's got to start somewhere. And generally it's, it's up in here. So like what, what you have learned as an acupuncturist, how has that impacted your life as a trumpet player? Uh, your understanding of uh, energetics, of flow, uh, and you know maybe even some some tips you might be able to give some people to to help uh, calm their asses down when they get freaked out. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has influenced everything in my life. Um, having you know, I, I went back to school in 2016 and did like a it's a six year program, but it's time compressed because we go to school year round. I, you know, masters of Chinese medicine program where I do herbology and acupuncture and body work. Twina. Um, at the root of it, I think is it's, it helped me to like, now I see trumpet playing and music. I can see it through the lens of the philosophical foundational principles of Chinese medicine. So now Chinese medicine in a lot of ways is a medicine of, of relationships of things to one another, you know, um, heat to water, dampness, dryness, all these different things that we look at in the human body to see are things out of whack. Really, at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. So trumpet playing. Well, how is my breath relating to my body? Is, am, I, am I viewing my entire body as a vehicle that can breathe? Or am I really just thinking just my lungs are the only thing that's breathing? And even more reductionist is only not even my full lungs. You know, some people are not even using their full capacity of their lungs to breathe. And then like in the book of five rings, he talks about like the, the warrior breathes all the way down to the soles of his feet. So now, even though uh, physiologically that may be an abstraction, but if I imagine that I'm inflating my entire body with air and I can transform that air into resonation 
and my whole body resonates. And now I think of the trumpet as just amplifying. It's really an amplifier. The trumpet's not making the sound. I'm making the sound. My body's making the sound. My air is making the sound. More importantly, what you said, my intention, my mind. What, what's my angel Gabriel in my head? What's that ideal in my mind of how I want to sound? If those things are lined up, man, like everything really just flows pretty naturally, you know? And then of course, like anything, there is the rudiments, you know, we have to practice. It's like internalizing language, right? Like the mechanics of trumpet playing. I have to practice these methodologies step-by-step, step, just like we do in martial arts, or just like I do when I'm practicing needling in Chinese medicine to be able to internalize it to the point where it expresses itself. Um, I think when we see great trumpet players, irrespective of genre, when you see them play, for me, there's a sense of that. Like when I hear Winton play, it's like I, I don't hear Winton trumpet player. I just hear Winton. Like what comes out is Winton. When, when I hear Phil Smith play, it's like, wow, that's Phil. You know, like, like the trumpet almost disappears because the the aspects of playing the trumpet have been so developed and so internalized that now the instrument, it, it's almost not there. It's just the music is flowing out, you know? And I think that that's something, you know, when you listen to John Coltrane, I don't say, I don't say tenor sax, John Coltrane. I'm like, that's train. You know, you hear one note, that's train. You hear Wayne Shorter, one note, oh, it's Wayne. I don't say tenor sax, Wayne, soprano sax, Wayne. The instrument almost goes away. It's just music, you know? Um, so I think more and more I'm focused on that. And I think like Chinese medicine has had a lot to do with that. As far as tips for people, I mean, I just think that, hmm, I think to think of the body as an ecosystem and not a machine is a big thing that people can tap into. And to also think of music as an ecosystem and not mechanical, it's not machines, it's not harmony, melody, rhythm, tone, like all these things are separate things. They're all like ecosystem. It's an ecosystem like in nature. And all these things have connections to one another. And we're just trying to like find the balance of all that and make that balance happen. I think that that's helpful. I think a big thing for people, man, I think is just getting rid of the negative self-talk. I mean, that took me a long time to, oh man, that was sad. Oh, I suck. Oh, that was horrible. Like Fattis was the one that really taught me that those words are powerful. And if you, like what you were saying earlier, if you switch those words up and just change them to other, oh, I can do that better. Well, let me try to make this more beautiful. Let me try and get a bigger sound, like changing the negative words to positive words. Man, I, I wish that I had done this earlier in my life. Now I'm starting to realize how powerful of a tool that is. So I think that's a big thing with people, you know, and also let's face it, man, it's, it's like cooking. You can have all the right ingredients and all the right proportions, but sometimes like my grandmother, you got to just put that sauce on the back burner, turn the flame down and just let it sit, let it simmer. And I think we're in a society where people want these quick results like, you know, you're supposed to be like a, have a record deal and be a star trumpet player. Like by the time you're 22, you're supposed to have all the, man, it takes time. It just takes time and experience for things to kind of unfold. And uh, it saddens me that there's not enough apprenticeship anymore, that people, they come out of the schools and then they're like jumping right into, 
you know, trying to get these like kind of high end gigs and that whole thing of coming up through the ranks. Part of it is like unfortunate music businesses change. So a lot of these things don't exist anymore. But that sitting for me, man, sitting next to the older cats when I was in Illinois Jackets band and I was like 30 years younger than like these were all elder trumpet players sitting with those men and getting that osmosis like just man like that had such a huge impact and i think that that somehow is not in the mix anymore people i don't know you know may, may, i might i might be being a little judgmental but um i think that that apprenticeship thing is such a huge thing because it's not all in the books it's it, it, a lot of the gems are you sitting next to somebody and seeing how feeling how they do it when I sat next to Bob Milliken, when we did two tours with Barbara Streisand, and he would play that solo and funny girl soaring over the orchestra, and I'm getting goosebumps every night, man, and that sound, and, you know, Bob, how do you get that sound? He said, I don't know, man, you know, I just, I just hear it in my head, and I'm just trying to make it beautiful, and I'm, okay, hear it in your head, make it beautiful, right, I write that down in my notebook, hear it in your head, make it beautiful, he wasn't talking about, well, I arch my tongue when I'm going up to this and I'm thinking E rather. He's not saying any of that. He's saying, I'm hearing it in my head and I'm just trying to make it beautiful. So I, th th that's kind of where I'm at with this stuff, you know? Well, that, I mean, that's, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because I, you know, there, there's all these similarities, uh, you know, across arts, you know, and, and like the, the music, and martial arts and stuff. I, I, having been in both for for so many years, so many decades at this point, um, you know, as you get a get to that point where you can turn around and, and look at the path that you followed, and you, you kind of see that it, it's all the same. Right. Uh, and the I think the 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 biggest thing that impacted me, uh, one of the big things that impacted me from my martial arts training was understanding the difference between having a teacher and a mentor. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of great teachers and I was very fortunate that that most of those great teachers ended up becoming my mentors. So it was spending a lot of time not just being instructed on class in class, but spending time sitting at dinner and talking and 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 not even talking about martial arts in particular, but just talking about life. Because then and that's part of what I try to do in this in, in these episodes is to talk about things that are are tangential to trumpet playing but are actually very impactful in trumpet playing because it's understanding how you approach life how you approach problem solving how you approach adversity um that's the key how do you learn learning how to learn and spending time with with people who have honed their craft uh, and just being a sponge. And yeah, sometimes you do get those technical things. Sometimes you do get the, you know, change your ankle to 45 degrees or do this or do that or think. Right, about right. That. And, but a lot of times it's just those simple things that, that like click and bring everything together, like hear the sound <laughs> and make it beautiful right. and, because that simplifies that process. And, you know, like uh, if you think about uh, from like a neuroscience perspective, like your, the reticular activating system, the, the RAS, you know, it's on the lookout for things that are going to fit your, your thought patterns, your beliefs, you know, what you're, what you're looking for, basically. Right. So if, if you're looking for ways to make a beautiful sound, then it's going to find the ways to make your sound more beautiful. And it's going right. to let you do it as opposed to 
you know, trying to consciously go through all those machinations, which then end up creating more stress and tension, which prevents us from doing what we're supposed to do. Right. So, uh, yeah, but I, I do want to ask you this in terms of, of like uh, one of the things that, 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 you know, as your acupuncture practice and your herbology and, and Twayna and stuff um, fit into your playing, uh, have you picked up any concepts or added concepts that are have been helpful to you in terms of like recovery when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply yeah re recovery i'm 61 now and recovery is a huge thing in all trumpet playing martial arts everything recovery is a big thing because i mean the reality of it is is as you get older like you don't recover as quickly so there has to be other things that you put into place to kind of um facilitate that process and maybe even to tonify to use the herbology word you know to tonify that a little bit more so um in terms of being on the road, like for me, nutrition is huge, man. You know, like we just have to be more conscious and mindful of what we're putting into our system. And I think that science is now showing us just how impactful that is on health. Even, even like the simple thing of like cutting down or eliminating processed sugar for most people, if they do that one thing, a litany of health issues just disappear. Weight loss, headaches, joint stiffness, just that one thing. Eliminate processed sugar as best as you can. So for me, being on the road, I'm lucky with Bruce because the band, Bruce is very healthy. He's very much into being healthy. We have, you know, great um, food choices in terms of being able to eat nutritional food, nutritious food. I have a whole you know, my one suitcase is all my, you know, vitamins, my powders, my foam roller, my percussor, like all my stuff that I do to keep my body, you know, cool and my, my, my physiology cool. In terms of acupuncture and just the principles of Chinese medicine in terms of recovery, um, huh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'm always working out when I'm on the road. After the show, I stretch. Before the show, I always do some Qigong. I always do Qigong. And in my practice, before I see patients, before I walk into the room, I always do Qigong. And for two reasons. One reason is to fortify my own Qi because I'm really a vehicle. The needle is going in, but I'm channeling, you know, the universal energy through me into the needle, into the person with an intention of how I'm trying to adjust their energetics right? But also, conversely, I don't want to take on any of their disharmony. And early on, when I was a student, I'd come home like, man, my lower back is killing me. I never have low back problems. Oh, today in the clinic, I treated somebody with low back problems. And that, that would happen so much that I started to realize that like that almost that transference where you start to take on some of the patient stuff. So it's important to have a practice where you can keep that boundary happening. Also, 
this this falls into trumpet playing too because sometimes the rhythm section gets wobbly sometimes things go awry sometimes we don't know what's going like with bruce he's very spontaneous on stage like we don't always follow a script so we're watching him but when there's that organicness sometimes the train wobbles a little bit and you have to be able to have your own internal compass grounded you know so qigong is a huge thing for me and and the beauty of qigong is it doesn't need to be hours like literally five minutes of it every day if if people do that for a month they will feel a huge transformation in their whole physical being their concentration it, it, it's such a powerful thing so th those are the things that i do you know i'm i'm very regimented and disciplined and 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 if i have a day off usually i map out what i want to do on the road i'm going to wake up i'm going to go to the gym then i'm going to come back i'm going to warm up i'm going to do some like i i i don't like to float around too much time is too precious especially at my age time is very precious so i try to make as best use of my time as possible um I mean, those are the things that I do. You know, everybody has their own process. That's kind of what what I do. What works for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to uh, disagree with you about the the qigong practice thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I mean, it, it's one, one of those. I, I think everyone should. Every trumpet player uh, should do some sort of uh, martial art, or you know, or, or qigong, or yoga, or. or and I hate using the term mind body because that's just such a a, a dated and I mean everything's mind body. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing in the world. They're not, is they're not separate. Yeah, uh, and that's a problem is that most of us think about it separately. Right. Uh, but it, you know, if, if you do, if before you play, if you can do something that engages your 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 intention, engages your breath, engages your physiology, uh, and and if you can add that layer, you know, and, and I don't say this, you know, if if you don't believe in this stuff, folks, just, you know, bear with me for a moment, but engages you spiritually. Mm -hmm. uh, and regardless of, of what your concept of spiritual is, where you're thinking about, you know, God or Allah or Buddha or, or whoever, or just like one, one of my, my master, my, my, my mentors, martial arts mentors said, you know, if you think, uh, you know, this exercise, you think about Guan Yin, or you think about Jesus, or you think just the universe, or you think someone pouring warm tea into your cup. So whatever it is to you that, that means peace and, and connection then that's what you think of, right? You know, if, if you can just take, you know, five minutes, even, even just five, five seconds right. before you go on stage, before you, before you put the horn up to your lips to get yourself connected, your mind, your breath, your body, your spirit, you know, your, your intentions, and then allow yourself just to get out of the way and let that energy, because music is energy. Yep. You know, let that energy just come out through the horn. Right. It, it would make such a difference in your performance for one, but I think for those of us who for so many years have struggled with anxiety and still many times do still struggle with tension and anxiety and stress and, and, you know, all the negative self-talk and that sort of stuff, it will make a huge difference. You know, that's a game changer as far as I'm concerned. It's definitely a game changer, man. And, and you know, the interesting thing is, and you alluded to it, I, I, I think we're, we live in a society where doing the big thing is, is something that like is so 
part of the mix. And the truth of it is, at least my, in my experience, that small things done consistently over time equal big things. So the person that has that suffers with anxiety when they have to play. If that person did a few minutes of Qigong every time they're going to play, before they play, I can almost guarantee that in a month's time, there's going to be a huge transformation. It's going to ju just a little bit done consistently. It's just like practicing. You know, it's like if I practice clock number two for five hours, one day a week, no, if I do 15 minutes every day, that's going to add up to skill improvement. A big thing done inconsistently is not doesn't have the same juice as a small amount done consistently over time. Um, and I think that sometimes, I, I don't know whether it's society or whether it's our own internal mechanisms, but I think we always feel like there's a, the big thing that we have to do and it becomes overwhelming and that in itself feeds anxiety. And so I've always found that breaking things up into smaller bits and, and just working with that over time, it ends up being a, a potent tool for problem solving, you know? Um, and a lot of trumpet playing is pro problem solving, you know? Like my sound is not happening today. Okay, well, what's going on? Is it, are my lips not resonating as fully? Is, are they not resonating as fully because, well, maybe I'm dehydrated or maybe the truth of it is, is I'm not really breathing fully. I'm not supporting my lips with enough air to get full resonance. Or is it that I'm thinking about like the gig tonight and worrying about this gig instead of being here present right now with my sound? There's all these different aspects. And so I found that if you kind of can break things down into smaller bite-sized pieces, it makes it easier to problem solve. And then it's not this huge mountain that you have to overcome that that in and of itself can create so much anxiety. I know for me, it's like, oh my God, I gotta, you know, I gotta practice Schlossberg and then I gotta work on this technical stuff. But then I got like the, the you know, these changes I need to figure out how to play over these chain, you know, like it's just so much, you know? So like what I always did with practicing, and this is something that Carmine Caruso turned me on to, was to really map out your practicing over the course of the week and don't try to do everything every day. You do your foundational stuff every day that prepares you to play. And then you kind of map out, okay, I'm going to work on tonguing. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on that. And you kind of break it up into shorter bite-sized pieces. For me, I think that that strategy has two huge advantages. The first advantage is that physiologically, you don't get so fatigued. You're breaking things up into smaller bits. And also mentally, like we can focus, you know, 20 minutes, I can really focus and really extract all the juice out of whatever it is that I'm trying to practice for 20 minutes. If I make the practice session so much longer, well, part of that practice session, I'm not going to be as focused. I'm not going to be as in tune. Like my mind's going to start to wander. So for me, what has always worked in that regard is to break things up into smaller bits, be very clear about my intention in terms of what am I trying to accomplish right now? What am I, am I just practicing to practice? No, I'm practicing with a goal in mind, with something I'm trying to accomplish and also surrendering to the fact that this is a process.
This is, if you love music and you love playing trumpet, well, you're going to be doing it for as long as you're physically able to do it. You know, I mean, look at Doc, right? I mean, I think just recently he now can no longer play, but I think he's, is he like 97 or something now? I think really up until 95, dude was still rocking on the trumpet, right? So if you love it, you're going to do it for as long as you can do it. So it's the ride. We're, we're enjoying the ride of it. You know, I mean, that's how I look at it, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm with you on that. And, and it's funny because I think we, a lot of times we let the external drive the internal as opposed to the opposite. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when, yeah, the the one the easiest way of thinking about it is you know we're looking for the 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 horn to be either the the solution to be the solution to the problem right. you know or or the or the scapegoat for the problem right you know uh but you know as we as we've said you know the the horn is basically an amplifier and and the horn other than you know if something happens to it drastically like you drop it you know and you 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 ding the the valve stem or you know you 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 put a little dent in the in the bell crook uh or you're 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 building up a cheese collection inside of your your valves um the horn doesn't change what changes is you you yeah amen you know amen. and you know it, it and when something goes wrong you know, we all have that tendency to look at your horn and you know, check to right. figure out why why that note fracked. Well, it fracked because of something you did, right. not the horn did. Yeah, the horn didn't miss the note. You missed the note. Yeah. Because... yeah so it it the problem solving you know should always start in here. And and like you said, the, those fundamentals. It's like you know, was I thinking? You know, was I not paying attention? Which you know we often do when we're playing. You know, we lose we lose our focus. Or, you know, was it I didn't have enough breath support or, you know, is, am I not drinking enough water? So that all those things, that's, I think, where we should be putting the majority of our energy and not looking at the horn or blaming the sound man or, or right. you know, it was a bad crowd or, you know, something like that. It, it's it's all internally driven. Without a doubt, man. Without, I mean, I've been fortunate because I've never really, I mean, I'm a gear geek with studio equipment. Like I have a recording studio in my house. I have for years. I was in the technology thing very early on i just always loved it you know but with trumpets i mean i just now bought a new instrument that is different from what i've always i'm playing a van lar trumpet now that basically is kind of a copy of the colicchio but i've played colicchio since 1988 the same horn the same model i pretty much have played the same the rim and the cup i have it's basically a 3C that Lou Mucci gave me that was the 3C he used on all those Gil Evans and Miles Davis records. And I have a slightly shallower version of that with a slightly different backboard when I have to be sizzling in the upper register. I've played the same stuff my whole career. Like I've never been one to chase equipment and chase mouthpieces around too much. I just have always believed that um, if I'm hearing it in my head, if I have a clear, like what you said, a clear intention of how I want to sound and, and I'm rooted strongly in the fundamentals of playing the trumpet and I'm engaged in that daily reorientation of those fundamentals, then, then, then for me, it's like the Olympics. I knock off the bad score. I knock off that. the days that I suck. All right, I suck. The days that I feel like I could play anything all right, that's an anomaly. As long as in the middle, I'm like at a pretty consistent high level, then then good, you know, like I just keep working towards that, you know, and that's kind of how I've always approached it, you know. Um, 
perhaps because of how my career has unfolded in the sense that I'm called upon often to do many different styles of music. Um, that presents a certain type of thing that's different, I think, than let's say a cat like my buddy Joe Magnarelli, who for the most part is going to be playing in the, the, in the context of small group improvisation. So I think that that changes things a little bit. You know, when, when your musical thing is maybe a little more like narrower, but deeper into one thing, or we could say like a, a, a classical player, like most orchestral players aren't going to have to scream out high G's and double A's over guitar amps. They're not really going to have to do that. So their thing is maybe a narrower scope, but much deeper into that thing. Whereas my career has kind of unfolded in a way where I kind of have to cover a pretty broad variety of styles of playing. Sometimes I have to improvise. So, so I love to improvise. Sometimes it's improvising in the context of a pop tune, which is a different language to speak than improvising in the context over changes and with a rhythm section that's going to be kind of floating and moving and and morphing with you i'm playing over a track that's already recorded it's groove music and i kind of have to be more poetic and and self-editing in what i play and what i play has to be within the context of this song that's a different approach to improvising than quote unquote air quotes a, a jazz player that's playing the gig at the club, improvising over complex harmonies. Um, sometimes I have to do a jingle where like it's kind of classical. I'm not really a classical player, but that's kind of the tone that I'm trying to get. That's the style, big band, funk, whatever it might be. So I have to be kind of deft at being able to adjust to all these different things. Not unlike, you know, when I'm doing jujitsu, like every body is different. Every person that you're rolling with is different and you have to kind of adjust your game to to engage with the reality of that situation that you're in at that particular moment. So my career has very much been kind of being able to go into many different situations and suss out what it is and be able to deliver the goods. Um, and for some people that's really difficult. Like that's a question that I get asked a lot. How are you able to, but for me, it's always just really felt natural to, to, to do that. That's never been something that's been hard for me to do in part just because I love music. You know, it's all music to me, you know? Yeah, well, that is the truth, my friend. It is all music, um, unless it's bad music, and then <laughs> it doesn't count. Uh, well, we've got a few uh, segments. That, these are our standard segments that, that I want to get through before, before uh, we sign off for today. Um, and the first one is uh, brought to us by uh, one of your fellow New York trumpet players, uh, Mr. Brian Davis. Hello, uh, music uh and this is called go practice and go practice is simply about that about practice and you already kind of you touched on some things you, you were talking about like from from carmine of breaking up uh, scheduling your thing uh and I, I think that that's really kind of an important thing and i've asked a few people this like if if there's only one thing if you only have a you're on a busy tour date or something like that you know the, your flights delayed and and you're kind of rushing to the studio uh you know what what are the things that you feel like i have to do this every day or these are things that i should do every day and that you try to make the the priority in your practice and you know so how how do you create that that structure from most important to you know the the ancillary things 
Yeah, good question, man. Really good question. Um, that that has slightly changed over time. You know, it's slightly changed. Um, right now, what I do a lot of, if I have a limited amount of time, is I will do chromatic scales slowly. I and I mix up where I'm starting them from. So sometimes I'll start in middle C, go down to low C, then go all the way up to high C, then come back to middle C again. And then I'll do just the opposite. I go from middle up to high, all the way down to low and back to the middle. Sometimes I'll start from high to low. Sometimes I'll go from low to high. Kind of like the concept is that I'm trying to get it so that from a pure physical standpoint, all these ranges, I'm no longer thinking of them as separate sectors of the thing. I'm trying to think of it kind of like how a keyboard player, this is all just the range of my instrument. And physically, there's no difference between me hitting the, this key down here at the bottom of the piano or this key up here, like to try and get that unified, like almost like a unified field theory of trumpet where all the registers, it's just resonation and it's just like airflow and to try and get all that connected. And I found that if I get that dialed in, pretty much things seem to work pretty good for me, you know? And, and obviously, like what we've been saying throughout this whole interview that we're doing is, is it starts here in my mind. Like I have to have a clear, you know, what is my ideal sound? Am I hearing my sound in my head? I take breaths, I blow, I'm trying to hear that with the air. And that's kind of the things that, that work for me, you know, is trying to not get into this thing is, okay, well, now I'm playing the low, low register, so I'm moving my air this way, and my lips are this way, and then when I go here, it changes, and I'm trying to get it to all feel the same, and that's that's something, again, that Fattis hit me, too, of as I'm playing into the upper register, then I play a low note, and I'm trying to match the feeling of the low note with the feeling of the upper register, and to get all that stuff to just kind of feel the same. And I think that that's been something that's hugely helpful for me. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to have to try that one. That sounds like a great, great practice. Love it. All right. Move on to the uh, next segment. And uh, this segment is called Sound Off. It's brought to us by Michael, Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones. I'm supposed to, your approach to sound. Now, we've been talking a whole lot about sound already and about, you know, hearing that beautiful sound, getting it out. But the question still, you know, that that, that I want to ask is about, uh, how you approach sound, particularly from the the perspective of being on that stage where you're you're trying to let the energy of your your horn, which is the you know, amplification of the energy of what's going on inside of you, how do you uh, how do you approach it in trying to remove as many barriers as possible so that you know the sound you're hearing in your head is coming out the horn and it's being picked up and carried to the people in the audience? Wow. From a trumpet player standpoint or from like a, a playing on microphone, like from what standpoint? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well played, my friend. Um, so I think that this, this is going to have to be a two-part answer, unfortunately. I'm I'll, not take that. I'll take that. Um, I think that I'll use food and cooking as an analogy. Um, if I'm making Italian food, my goal is to make the best Italian food I can make. If I'm making Chinese food and doing stir fry on the walk, I'm trying to make the best Chinese food that I can make. The 
techniques that I use to make both those, those different cuisines are very similar, but the flavors are different. So when I'm playing with Bruce, I have to have a very vibrant sound. It has to be fire in my sound, but we're not playing real technical stuff. And I'm not really playing in the upper register that much. We're kind of like, it's almost like the Memphis, that sound of horns in the middle register, fat vibrating sound. Um, that's different than other gigs. So a lot of times the gig and the type of music that I'm playing is impacting what I'm manifesting in my mind and in my intention as the right sound for that thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cuz it's not it's not, not going to all be the same thing. You know, it's 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 going to change like, you know, like the music changes. So I have to kind of figure it out. Um what I found is that if if I'm clued into that and I'm tapped into that sound concept idea in my head, then my physiology makes whatever adjustments need to be made for me to achieve that sound without me consciously having to really do much. So for example, like with tower, like the, the big thing and, and playing funk a lot is you got to get the whole note to speak very quickly because you're playing, you're playing percussive stuff. You're playing more like kind of like how a funk rhythm guitar player plays. So the note, there's not time for the note to bloom like it would bloom like in a big band type setting. So that's a different type of concept of sound. But if I can make that adjustment in my head, usually my body will figure out how to do it without me having to really mess with it too much. And if it doesn't, then again, we go into the mode of problem solving. And for me, the biggest way to solve a lot of those problems with sound is by listening to other people who are doing it. So early, like when I got the gig with Tower, obviously I was listening to Tower, but I'm a huge Jerry Hay, Chuck Finley, Gary Grant, those three cats, man. When they play together, there's some magical shit that happens that to me, it's a, I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. So I would listen to those guys and hear, okay, the sound's fat, but there's like sizzle, like there's a sizzly thing going on when they hit notes, like the note is just impacting, like, and precision of cutoffs and precision of... So I would just listen to it and that becomes now in my head what it's supposed to be. And then my body just figures out a way to do it. And that's kind of what has always worked for me. What never works for me is the over analytical. If I go down that road, I'm done. I'm crashing and burning every time. Man. Yeah, well, <laughs> you and about 99.9% .9 of the other trumpet players in the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, um, let's move on to the, the next segment. And uh, this is uh, it's called Geared Up, and it's about gear. Uh, and it's brought to us by Venture Mouthpieces, Venture, where technology, craftsmanship, and design intersect. Uh, use the code TRUMPETGURUS21 to get 10% off your order. So it's about gear. You've already said that you're not a big gearhead, and you, you talked a little bit about, about your gear. Um, but yeah, let, let's 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 talk about the other side of gear, which is uh, the use of gear for amplification purposes. So the trumpet is the amplifier of our music, but we also have to use this other amplification if we're playing, you know, uh, on a live stage like that. So uh, how do you approach the interface between or the the um, the way that that your horn works with 
the the you know the sound reinforcement systems that, that gotcha. you work with gotcha. yeah um this is something I'm, I'm really into so i'm very fortunate on bruce's gig that you know it, it, it's great we have our sound guys are, are so great we use in-ear monitors i use clip-on microphones because we have to move around on the stage quite a bit you know um what i have found super helpful over the years is to learn the language of of the sound engineers so learn what 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 is eq what does that mean what are the frequencies as a trumpet player if i'm having to play lead like in a rock or an r&b setting what frequencies can i ask the sound guy to boost a little bit that's going to help me what frequencies might i ask him to remove that is going to help me so in bruce's gig like all the kind of whole whole like that kind of like 200 to 400 range of sound that kind of buttery sound that if i was playing in a jazz club i would want a lot of that i would want a lot of that butter in my sound when i've when i'm competing with guitars and keyboards and i'm not going to hear any of that stuff i need 2k i need sizzle i need the ping i need a lot of that and if i can get that dialed in then that makes my job in terms of my chops a lot easier also like reverb giving yourself that sense of ambience that 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 helps a lot. So I think like learning about those things, the more sound design, quote unquote, that aspect of things, I think that helps. I think that um, if you're playing in an acoustic setting, then that's different because maybe you're on a stage where it's the acoustics are naturally beautiful and you just play and there's resonance and it's much easier to play. I'm almost always never in that situation, especially on Bruce's tour. Um, in the world of electronics and sound design and guitar amps and all that stuff. So I just make sure that I have a good mix. I have what I need in my in-ear monitors, that I have the right kind of EQ on my horn that's going to help me to get through these shows. And, and that allows me, again, to be able to just focus on music and to not be fighting with the sonic aspects of playing. Yeah. Well, that and that's great advice because, you know, uh, I use in-ears myself. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of players are, are switching to them or contemplating switching to them. And that's always the question. It's like, you know, or, or not the, the question, but the problem that they, they talk about is like, well, you know, I've got these ears, but I still sound like crap in them. Well, you know, maybe it's because you sound like crap, but anyway, yeah. just, I'm just, just kidding about that part. But no, a lot of times it's like, you know, I, I just switched a set of ears. I went to a set of quad drivers and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know what? we definitely got to put a low pass filter on this. I want you to, to put a notch, notch in the mid right. and then give me a boost to 2k. Right. And, you know, and it sounds completely different, but like you said, a lot of people don't understand that language. So uh, I, I really appreciate that because that's a question that I've had a number of people ask me about, uh, you know, about how do you, how do you get the right gear for these sort of things? And how do you deal with having to use a clip on mic as opposed to using a, uh, you know, because yeah, I don't like using clip-ons. I like having a a, a mic, <laughs> even though I use a clip-on. But I would prefer to have a, a you know a nice mic on a stick because then I can back off. I can go to the, the mic. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But you know, if you've got if you've got to move, you need a clip-on. Right. So you know, it's like how do you make the best of of the use of those that equipment? And I think you know that that was definitely some 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 sound advice that yeah i mean i think having having a basic understanding of how eq works having a basic understanding of how compression works because 
that they're always going to be compressing things to some degree. So the front of house guy has control over what's going on and having some basic understanding of, of reverbs and types of reverb and what you like. And I, I just think that, you know, that those are just relatively easy things to learn about and they can really make a huge difference in making a gig comfortable. I'm very comfortable on Bruce's gig. Like we have what we need in terms of the sound and the mix and how I have things panned. So it's very, even though it's very demanding physically, I have everything that I could ask for in terms of optimizing me to be able to go out there and do a good job. And, and I think that that's a huge part of it is just being able to speak that language to the yeah. tech guys. Absolutely. Beautiful. Love it. All right. We got one final segment. Uh, and this is uh, brought to us by our good friends at Robinson's Remedies. This is called the Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round. And uh, it's just a series of questions that kind of bounce all over the place. Okay. So, uh, let's do it. Let's rock. Are you ready? Here you go. First question for you, Barry. Who's uh, the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Bruce Lee. All right. What's your favorite book? Oh, boy. You see behind me, right? Yeah, I see behind you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a really hard question. Well, only one? Only one today. What's your favorite book today? Um, okay, today my favorite book is Meditations, Marcus Aurelius. Oh, okay. I will definitely love some good Stoics. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Titanic. I hate that movie. My wife loves it. I hate it. I'm with you on that, man. At least you didn't say uh, like Five Deadly Venoms or something like that. Right, right. That was, that was one of the greatest movies of all time, and I stand behind that. Yeah, I, those Shaw Brother movies were great. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Um, a fighter. MMA. Yeah, I would definitely be. I, I definitely would be a fighter. All right. What's your favorite drink? Water. All right. Uh, you can host a dinner party, and at this dinner party, you could invite any three people in the world, any three living people, who would you want to have there? Oh, shit. Living. See, if you had said not living, that would be easy to answer. Living. Oh, let's see. God, that's a hard question, man. Um. Hicks and Gracie. Okay. Doc Severinsen. All right. And um, hmm. maybe like the 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 head shake from um, the Mevlevi, which is from the lineage of Rumi from that Sufi order. Yeah. Okay, cool. I won't tell Bruce that you didn't uh, want him at the dinner party. So, yeah. well, I get to have dinner with him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and now you've got three additional chairs and this is going to be the easy part. Any three people from history. Wow. Okay. From history. God, this is hard, man. 
probably Buddha, Lao Tzu, Prophet Muhammad. Can I have two extras? <laughs> Only those three. We'll go with those three. Okay. That sounds like a good dinner. All right. Uh, lacquer, plated, or raw? Well, now lacquer. All right. Uh, what's your favorite quote? What is my favorite quote? Hmm. Man, I'm a quote freak, so I have so many. Let's see. What is my favorite quote? You cannot be truly considered a person of faith unless you love for your brother in humanity that which you love for yourself. Prophet Muhammad. That's deep. All right. What is your greatest fear? <sighs> Not being there for my family, for my wife and kids. Okay. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Healing. All right. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? High notes. And what aspect do you find to be the most underrated? beauty of sound okay. uh you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music what would it be have fun all right and while you're back there you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life don't worry everything's going to be okay all right. Final question for you, Barry. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, that I was a good person and that I helped whoever was in my path, that I was able to help them in some form, whether it's through music or whatever it may be. All right. Well, that is a wonderful legacy to have, and uh, you're using your superpower as a as a healer and a, a your other superpower as a musician uh, to to make a difference in the world. And I really appreciate you, man. This has been uh, this has been such a great time for me to get to know you. Thank you, bro. The feeling is most mutual. I had a feeling that we were vibrating on the same wavelengths with a lot of stuff, so it's great. Oh yeah, it's, it's I mean, I I could talk about any of these topics for hours and hours but uh, you know, well to be continued man yeah we'll, we'll have to, we'll, we'll do a follow-up maybe after you get back from your european tour and, okay. and uh, check in with us and let us know how things are going and folks you know, remember if uh, bruce is in your area go check him out and uh you know I, I think you would you will enjoy the show especially since he's got a trumpet player up there now so you know we, you know he, he's finally he's finally matured enough to get a real musician up on stage with us <laughs> we appreciate that all right so thanks folks for spending time with us on this episode remember to like share subscribe uh and if you have questions uh and suggestions for any future guests please hit me up and uh, we'll do our best to 
to help you out. So until next time, folks, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signor. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Mm-hmm.